Hi, I'm Pamela Slim, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. I'm really excited to have Pam Slim join me on the podcast. I can call her Pam because we've known each other for a number of years. It's surprising that we actually haven't had a conversation on one of the many podcasts I've hosted over the years. It's so gratifying to have her on the program today to talk about her latest book, The Widest Net. I started to pour over it on my Kindle while I was traveling, and boy, oh boy, um, there's a lot to get into there. We cover the gamut, and we kind of dance all over the place, kind of like a conversation would. So let's just get into it. Here's my conversation with Pamela Slim, a productive conversation at that. Enjoy. Pam, Pamela, thanks for joining me today on the program. I mean, it's this has been a long time coming. We, <laughs> you've never been on any of the podcasts I've hosted to this point. How how did that not happen until now? I have no idea. I would like to say you never invited me, but probably I don't know. <laughs> Somehow it's entirely I, I possible. Need to be here. <laughs> it's entirely possible. That's how it went down. Um, the the book that we're going to talk about today, because you've you've written plenty of books. I mean. We go through the 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 body of work, pun intended, uh, of the books you've done. You've done Escape from Cubicle Nation, body of work. The new book is called The Widest Net, Unlock, Untap Markets, and Discover New Customers Right in Front of You. Okay, so I'm looking at the the pantheon of Pamela, reading the, reading the books. What led you down the path to write this particular book? I always say I'm an author practitioner. Uh, sometimes I wish I were the person who woke up with a cool idea in the shower and went on to sell 12 million books of some <laughs> cool idea. I do work with my clients who I love so much, who are actual business owners that are that are working to grow and scale their businesses. And through the testing and trying and slogging and working on things and seeing patterns is really how it is that I come up with the methods for my book. It, they really are written when I'm following the journey of who it is that I'm working with. So this book, I will say, of the three that I have written is the one that probably has the deepest roots of my own body of work, as we said, pun intended, because believe it or not, in college, my degree was community development with a focus in non-formal education as a tool of social and economic change. <laughs> and so it's the thread that's that's pulled through so much of the work that I've done. And this model in particular, like, I just find with every person that I meet, whether they're trying to start a movement, get people excited about, you know, life change, whether they have a business and they want to grow their audience, it really gives some specific answers and methodology to how you do that besides going to the internet and yelling, hey, I'm here. Does anybody want to buy my stuff? So how important was it for you to put the framework into play here? Because, I mean, this isn't just a how-to book either. I think that's the other thing, too. Um, so many books that offer a framework, they become more of this how-to. And what I what I like is that there's also the, a lot of why in there, like why you did it. We talked a little bit before we started recording about uh, someone whose through line goes throughout the book, Carly. Um, and one of the things that, that I found really interesting is that the framework is there, but it doesn't like... <laughs> It's not right front and center right out of the gate, right? Like you kind of lead into it, which I really enjoyed. What putting together the framework, the, the widest net framework, how how was that born? Like how long did that take for you to finally kind of crystallize into something that you could say, okay, now 
here's here it is in book form. I know you work with clients and stuff like that, but was this seemed to be the time to like say, okay, you know what? It's not just for the people I work with intimately. It's now for a wider. Oh my God, the puns are coming out like crazy. Audience. <laughs> yeah this this book, as I said, it I I really did base it off of a couple primary things. So one is a framework that I've used through the years with doing specifically community building and organizational engagement. I've been in business actually 25 years. So this this is a year of fives for me. I turned 55. I had five years at the learning lab and um, 25 years in business. And there are some organizing principles that are ways in which I was taught a long time ago to really do highly relational and especially grassroots community-based organizing that I've applied in many different areas. So I just always want to acknowledge that there's like a source, an academic source of frameworks that I looked at. And then in particular, up to about, let's see, six years ago is where I really began to want to, to kind of quantify um, this process and look at what the steps were. And I did a, a 23 city tour in 2015, which I believe, did you attend the one that I did? No, I was, I couldn't, I was going to go. We We just missed each other. Yes, exactly, exactly. But I did this with a wink to your fellow Canadian, Scott Stratton, who talks about unmarketing. I called it the unbook tour because before writing the book, I wanted to go places where I had done book tours before and really notice as I introduced the core framework, I had developed a bit of a a skeleton of what the framework was. And I really wanted to get the feedback and reaction from people to see what were the areas that were clear, what was not clear, what were salient points. And my idea all throughout that tour was really to model a lot of the principles that I had learned as a community builder. Instead of coming down on high saying, here is my framework, oh people, (laughs) that I would actually be going to people with their wisdom, getting their feedback before even going through the process. So that was a really important part of the process is, is getting that feedback, having conversations all around the country. And then we utilized the method very deliberately when opening our small business learning lab here five years ago, which were, we sit right in the middle of Main Street in Mesa, Arizona. And my passion and commitment to this book was to really model everything that we were testing. And there, as anybody who has done this before knows, it's, it's a lot of scratching your head, fuzzy days, having conversations with people where they look at you like you're really strange, you know, bumbling over words. It's so nice to have the pithy method now where I can be talking about the sound bites and referring to the infographic, you know, that has all the steps. But I'll say, especially with looking at work I did with people like Carly Cunningham, who is, as you said, is a client that I really feature prominently in the book. it, It was those deep, conversations, those moments where we were trying to figure things out. And I was really trying to figure out like what would be the kind of thing that would help her um, that became often the parts of the model that once I saw them working and once I saw them working consistently with other clients that I would add to the list, you know, that started as this vague feeling. And then over time, really over the years, ended up being a very specific method where I saw, okay, I see where the parts fit together. You need to have this piece in place before you do the other piece. And that's that's where it all started to get more clear um, while writing it. It's funny. Sometimes things just take the time they take to, right? They do. Like, uh, you, you can't force that stuff. One, one of the things that jumped out of me 
right away as I was reading the book is um, I've taken the avatar assignment. I've taken the who's your avatar thing to the point where it becomes numbing. You know what I mean? Where everyone recommends it. And then I go through your book and I see that yours is a little, it's not an avatar. It's different. And man, oh man, it felt, it felt right. It felt like it was the missing piece. And I mean, again, I was, I was traveling as I was going through reading the book on the Kindle and I'm like, oh, this makes me want to do this exercise more. This makes me want to dig into it more. And I, I don't want to, you know, obviously we don't want to give away every aspect of this, but I think this is key because I think a lot of people have heard of the exercise, like who's your ideal customer, find your avatar. Can you touch on like that piece? I'll let you kind of un- unveil it that I, that hit home with me, that one piece that I'm like, oh, this is, this is not something people focus on too much when they're doing that exercise or yes. a variation of it. That, and I'm so glad because I think I know most people have been traumatized by an avatar exercise and just <laughs> stare blankly at a piece of paper. Uh, Susan Beyer is an expert that I reference in this chapter, and she by profession is an attitudinal segmentation researcher. And what that means is for a living, um, she does research specifically on um, how attitudes of different business owners really drive buying decisions. She, her main clients are digital marketing agencies that have, of course, big companies and brands that they do work for. And what I love so much about her approach that I learned by connecting with her um, in person here in Phoenix, and then I ended up actually being mastermind partners with her and our friend Chris Lee for about five years. So I was just really deeply immersed within her methodology And what I realized, because it is so research-based, like now based on just thousands of different data points, probably hundreds of thousands of data points that she has with clients, is it doesn't skip over the step that probably you agonize with, which is where people go directly to demographic factors. Like we'd say, Mike, well, you know, are do your folks like, do they ride Vespas? And do they like almond milk in their coffee or coconut milk, you know, or like, do they live in Vancouver, Mesa, Arizona? Some of these demographic components can be important, but we have to first anchor it really ultimately in what is that kind of problem or challenge or aspiration that your client is trying to make. And yes, we've talked about problems in business, right? Solve, create a a business to solve a problem for a long time. What I love about Susan's method is that it makes it really specific in the way that you understand like who you're connecting with. And it truly is the key to then unlocking so many of the new audiences that you find once you get to the chapter about ecosystems and watering holes. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. 
This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash ProductiveConvo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Which is what I'm going to get to next because I've heard the first time I heard about the ecosystem because I've heard about funnels and funnels are another thing that people spend a lot of time and energy on. And as you're listening to this right now, you're thinking, Mike, productivity, how is this related to time management? I'm like, because you can waste a lot of time doing the wrong things and it becomes unproductive. So for example, you talk, people talk about funnels and the ladder and all that stuff. And I remember Mike Morrison talking about the ecosystem at a conference I spoke at, uh, Chris Ducker's Tropical Think Tank. And that ecosystem fascinated me because most of the things that I try to work with, and, and I know, I know that's something that you've touched on as well in some of your other work that, you know, leading up to this point is this idea that it's not a, it's not a one and done proposition. It's, 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 it's an, it's a journey. It's an ongoing thing. So I, I do want to touch on the, the idea of the ecosystem and, and the w- ecosystem wheel, because I think what that does, it doesn't just do this, I think for, for customers and for the clients you serve, but I think it also fuels you. I think it fuels the person putting it together because there, it, it, it's self-perpetuating to a degree, like it gets the flywheel going. Um, can we talk about the ecosystem and why ecosystems are so valuable? For sure. The, the big idea, I think, juxtaposition as we look at ecosystem is really this framework through which I'm talking about building an audience is the, the contrasting idea is really this idea of an empire where it's about positioning yourself as the sole expert. We literally talk about building an empire in business, crushing competitors, right? Lots of fun, very crushy, <laughs> domineering <laughs> you, you, kinds of language. And, and I don't mean to cut you off here, but Jeff Goins comes up in this book. And as soon as I read about Jeff's chapter, I'm like, because that's kind of, I think, how it felt that it was going for him. Like, this is big empire. And it just, it got to the point where, like, I don't want to do this, right? And Jeff's yes. changed tack. So, again, like, I don't want an empire. And when I saw that, I'm like, that this sounds so much more appealing. 
Well, yeah. I mean, some people love it and that's sure. okay. That's like yeah. people, we all need so many different metaphors if we think about the different types of businesses and personalities of business owners. So where there are people that resonate with that, that is awesome. And we know there are ways in which you can really position yourself as if you have all the answers right to your clients' problems. Personally, <laughs> I think as much as I work, as smart as I try to be every day, I could never ever completely solve all of my customers' problems. You and I are an example of what I talk about in an ecosystem of peanut butter and jelly partners, right? PB&J partners. Every single client I work with, when they have the enormous task of either starting, growing, or scaling their business, there are so many moving parts and they're, they need to develop really productive habits as to how they can be effective and efficient with doing their work. I imagine as your clients are doing their work and being effective and efficient, they also need strategic advice for what is the best way to build a business. So with us, we can and probably do share some core audience where they're going to each of us for a different reason, but it's all related to probably having, for example, a thriving business that's designed just the way they want, like a happy, productive life where they have time to do the kinds of things they want to do. And in order to do it, when you look at it through the lens of an ecosystem, um, if we think of maybe, you know, one of the listeners you have who, who can resonate with both the information that we're both sharing, they probably already are going places in their ecosystem. And by places, I mean, I have 10 segments actually within my ecosystem uh, wheel model in the book, but strong examples could be associations. They may be, you know, a CPA who's interested in being much more productive, but they belong to an association you know, of CPAs where they get CPA-specific information. They listen to podcasts, they listen to TED Talks, they go to certain media hubs um, in order to get access to information. They use technology. One of the amazing like, doorways into new audiences that I know I've learned in my own work is all the amazing tech companies that create technology that allow us to do our work also sometimes have millions of customers who I know for me as a business coach is a natural audience. So when I partner with them, it can really expand my audience. So it's really looking at this idea of who are the other people who are contributing to solving the problem or helping your ideal customer achieve their aspiration. And our job strategically at first is to choose the right kinds of partners so that when we do take action, it's very deliberate. And it's really well thought out that you've identified some places where you're likely to have the greatest number of ideal customers, partners, and sometimes sponsors. So when we talk about casting a wide net, I'm going to circle back to something that's mentioned earlier on in the book. Um, sometimes when you go really wide, you find things that you really, really want, but then you also find things that are not so appealing to you. And you mentioned Greg Hartle in the book, who I've never had the pleasure of talking to, but I know uh, we have mutual friends in Srini, Srini Rao, who's been on the podcast before. And I've seen Greg's name pop up a few times, but I've never heard of like this always or never, uh, which I love. And I really wish that I had that earlier on in my journey, because as somebody who's building a business or trying to, you know, like help people, Sometimes you 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 go to places that you, you, the allure of all of the the things that are coming towards you 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 grab onto software companies. I used to follow with a bunch of software companies until I figured out you know what I'm gonna just deal with these ones in particular or 
notebook makers or I'll give you another great example i've i've got a bunch of drink companies sending me stuff like teas and stuff like that for performance stuff so i'm like okay which ones do i land with and which ones do i just say no to so how important is it for that that bound those boundaries to be set whether it's the always never and then of course um you know you mentioned about the idea of hypocrisy which uh, as i read that i'm like ooh i've i've crossed that line a couple of times <laughs> i i think we all have and like <laughs> barely lived to see the day and that that's referring to what greg calls the hypocrisy line where you know that you probably have violated some of your core values you might be like ugh you know i don't really think this person has ethical practices but just in this tiny area, it's probably okay, you know, if I do a deal with them or this, I'm not 100% down with this business somebody has, but it's not like breaking any laws and, you know, and then you can find sometimes when you get into that, that it becomes like physically and emotionally painful to be making decisions that are not based on your values. So there always a never list. I mean, this really is the discernment that um, in, in the model and the process. I, I talk with clients a lot about the accordion principle, which is you go way out, imagine you're pulling out the accordion to see the totality of the market. And sometimes you literally, it's like seeing the universe for the first time, like laying on your back, looking at the stars, you can feel very insignificant and overwhelmed. Then as you pull back again in this project, project process of strategic analysis, and then priority, there are all these different filters and lens, lenses that you can use in order to discern actually the, the work that you're going to be doing. So you might go way out and say, oh my gosh, this is a, I never thought about partnering with a tea company before. Um, there are a million of them. And then you can come back and you can say, well, in, in my, my always and never list, I know that I always want to do business with people who may, you know, source from um, you know, healthy organic places or don't, you know, exploit labor in the production. Um, and so these are ways that you can have some discernment to help you make decisions about who it is that you partner with. And, you know, I find it's, it's a dynamic process. Sometimes you don't know what is really important to you from a values perspective until you either violate it yourself and you feel terrible or it happens where somebody else does it to you. Right. And, and, just a side note, one of the things that I've done to kind of keep myself from tempting fate is we created some text expander snippets, they've sponsored the podcast before, for things that if we won't do it, I don't even have to think about it. It's just like a couple of keystrokes and it, it elicits that email out there so that there's not, because the more space you give for that thing, to, that little seed of doubt, if you, if you don't have that locked in, which is why I like the always or never, that's when it can kind of imbue. Like I, I we've had emails come in where it's been like, hey, we want to, can you link to this in this article? And we're like, no. And we have an autoresponder that like says, no, we don't do that. Okay. Well, and then they come back with, okay, well, how about this? And then we have another immediate, like they're already pre-entered. So that way there's no need for us to even like think about it. It's just, how do we refuse it? Oh, we just type in these two characters. It auto-populates the email and you're done. Once you have those boundaries, then it's protecting them, like you said, I think is really, really key and putting, if you can find ways to do it, um, that's fantastic. Now, you you know that I've jumped all over the place with when it comes to the framework, but I think the, the reason that I wanted to do it this way for our conversation is primarily because people will look at things like, oh, well, here's the people I need to talk to. Here's the things I need to do. But they don't start with the very thing that you talk about at the top of the book which is the missions, the beliefs, 
the stuff that's hard, <laughs> the stuff that is going to take more time than you probably are willing to initially give it. And what I love about what you put in the book is that you've, again, you've distilled it so it makes it not necessarily easier, but a whole lot simpler to do. Why is it so important that you start with that piece before moving into some of the other areas? Yeah, that anybody who's, you know, especially escaped cubicle nation, as I wrote in my first book, I know people can get very understandably cynical with mission statements or even values because maybe they've gone through them in a, in a case that was not really authentic. When To me, when you look at it, first, it, it really is an essential part of not only recognizing how it is that you're going to create a business that you feel good in, which is, you know, your mission and your values that are really guiding how it is that you do business, but it is completely critical and essential to understanding the methodology of the book. And that's part of where I, I use the example in the um, in the mission of Intuit, right? Make software for accounting and tax and so forth. And their mission statement is power prosperity. So you can look at that big, big mission statement. And just by looking at it, if we had, you know, five of us who were sitting around a table and we would say, what are all the things that somebody would need to have in place or know or do in order to power their prosperity? They might need money, you know, mindset work. They need bank accounts. They need retirement accounts. They need a CPA. They might need a bookkeeper. You can immediately see when you're, when you're identifying what somebody's mission statement is, what are all the different kinds of things that they need to have in place in order to accomplish that mission? That's the key that ends up move, moving right into this ecosystem analysis where you could literally say like, hmm, if, if I share a mission, like, well, Text Expander, here's my unpaid, you know, shout out to them. I love Text Expander so much. I talk about them <laughs> to all my clients. Like, I love that you mentioned them because it's an example of something that's like so practical and helpful that helps people in many cases to have hard conversations. Like it's a, it's productive because you save time, but exactly like you shared in your example, it really helps people to have like hard conversations that, you know, via email to, to set boundaries. So when you can identify that and immediately it can give you good information of like, oh, this company would be a great, you know, sponsor. Oh, as a business coach, who am I referring my clients to every day? Intellectual property attorneys, CPAs, you know, Mike Michalowicz and Profit First, like all these different places, which then naturally become the place where I can look to for cross promotion, me to be a guest on a podcast. So yes, it does make a lot of sense for you as the business owner to have a deeper reason and a purpose beyond making money. We love money. Money's great keeps things flowing, allows us to grow, nothing wrong with money. But beyond money, like you have to define what the business is trying to do. And I argue it's impossible for one business to completely solve the problem usually that's in the mission statement. And so therein, it's like the prize inside, therein lies your clues to find your perfect partners that can create more of a stable flow of leads into your business. Well well, and, and I, I, again, further to that, I think that like I used to be the guy that would know a lot about apps. I still do. I don't want to be the guy that has to keep up with all those apps. Not anymore. I've gone down that path, but I know lots of people that do. And so I will definitely connect. That connection matters. Um, you mentioned Mike Michalowicz, who has been on the program. Well, I interviewed uh, Jesse Meekum, who uh, runs You Need a Budget. We talked about 
both in both conversations, I mentioned each them to each other because I happen to use the profit first methodology. Inside, you need a budget, and we use it both personally and professionally. So there's a lot there's a lot of lines that can be connected. And I to your point, when you've sat down and done that work and like really looked inward, and that's why I mean a person I. I actually haven't done it yet this year as we record this, but I told my wife this morning when we were having our meeting, I'm like, we need to have, I need to have my two day retreat, my two day to three day solo retreat where I can get back in touch with that sort of thing. No, no other stuff. Just doing that. That time is so incredibly valuable and it pays off in so many dividends, especially not just with like, you know, like you said, the values, the mission, but the relationships that you forge. And Pam, you are somebody who I've known for a number of years that has forged some fantastic relationships. It's throughout the book, you know, you talk about Wes, Wes Kao, who's built Maven. And you talk about, you know, again, Jeff Goins, who we both know. Relationships kind of book it there. As you go through the book, the relationships come up again and again and again. Um, how do you make sure that you give not just the, you know, choose the right relationships or foster the right, but make sure, and again, this comes back to the productivity piece, give them the attention that they deserve on a consistent basis because we all have a lot going on and it's hard sometimes uh, to not only nurture the relationships from a business perspective, but also to be able when you're like, say, arranging an interview to say, hey, have you watched Star Wars Visions yet? Hey, what do you think of the latest Ted Lasso episode? <laughs> Things like that. Because there's the human on the other side of that too, right? Yeah. it's. It, I understand so much that I people have a different wingspan when it comes to how many relationships they can hold within their business, how many they need to have. There are some clients I have that are more of a B2B business to business kind of a business where they don't need to have a thousand customers that are buying like small, you know, information products. They could have three main customers that could sustain them for the next two or three years and be extremely profitable, right? So there, there's, there's what is the right size audience for a business and for the business model that you have. And then I think it's for the business owner of recognizing who are you by nature, how are you wired, and based on that and what your business needs, then how can you be really thoughtful and strategic and effective and efficient in building networks? One of the, the factors that was so such a great influence to the work that I do is I work with Susan Cain, who wrote the book Quiet, about the power of introverts for about 18 months. and was really with her in the early stage of building uh, the quiet revolution. And um, I am an extrovert. Uh, I would say a raging extrovert, if I'm honest. <laughs> and yet my entire family of origin, my, my birth family, mom, dad, sister, and brother, and actually my bonus parents as well. Like I have step parents and they're all introverts. My entire family, my husband, my kids are all introverts. So I'm the only extrovert. And oh, it was, even being surrounded by so many amazing introverts, uh, it was so helpful to look at some of the art and science about connections and the things that can be really effective for folks who identify more introverted to build relationships and those that aren't. If I'm just giving advice based on me being an extrovert and a natural community builder and someone who loves people and gets very energized by it, I'm going to be missing a whole bunch of people who could apply the methodology of the book. So what I tried to do is to break down, you know, the concepts behind it 
And then a lot of the part, which I do feel passionately about that I think dovetails with your approach to really being deliberate about productivity is for those relationships where you're identifying that maybe there are key partners that you have. Maybe there are, you know, three or four key partners that you're really in it in in building your business and also building your body of work. I know for me, Charlie Gilkey, Jonathan Fields, um, my best friend Desiree, Attaway, like there are a number of people where I'm in pretty close communication, like as I'm going through the year and and building my business because we're really in that craft of building and trying to figure things out together. It's going to be different than if I'm trying to keep up on text with all of my individual clients and setting the expectation that I have to remember all their birthdays. Like, I'm doomed. It's terrible. Yeah. Do you know for like 12 years, I forgot my best friend's birthday every single year? It was just when Facebook came to life (laughs) that I remembered (laughs) because it reminded me. But you know what's interesting is with Facebook, so then we, I know that I tend to skew one way or the other, I'm a person of extremes. And I really, one of the reasons I, I do what I do is, uh, and build what I build with productivity. So I want to find this reasoned approach, like, just like what makes the most sense. So I was like that. I would like, okay, uh, I was forgetting birthdays. Facebook comes along. Now I'm sending everybody birthday wishes. Like I was just going, Oh, like And then one day I just said like, this is not sustainable. Like I can't do this consistently. So now what I've done. And then I, so I stopped, I was just doing a few people. Now I actually, you know, in the moment I'll do it if I see a birthday, but I actually have a, again, text expander shortcut. That's for <laughs> a GIF. That's Rob Hubel throwing confetti in the air that says happy birthday. I think you might've even, well, maybe, I don't know if you got this one, but it's just, it's just a happy birthday symbol with him throwing confetti in the air. No left without content. Other than that, no context. It's just like, they know it's their birthday. And that's what I send to everyone. It doesn't matter what, and because I just have to type in FBHB and that's what shows up. And I'm like, there it is. Enjoy. And so it's about finding, and you talked about this right off the top, like sometimes things take the time they take to figure out, not just, not just frameworks, but like where a relationship is, where it's going, things like that. And, um, again, as I was going through the book, I'm like, there's some stuff in here. As much as I've read a lot of stuff about like finding your ideal audience, I'm building a network and and a relationship um, kind of community with my own, you know, with, with time crafting trust. And to your point, there's people there that can teach others better than I can teach others because there's a gap that I don't, I'm not a retired person. I'm not a single mom. (laughs) I don't have that nor will I ever. So for me to be able to facilitate that or even just sit back and watch it happen, that that in and of itself is such a joy to see to see take place. Yeah. It really is and part of I think what really has influenced the book and again, I started working on it before I even had any idea that we would be opening up a small business learning lab in the middle of Main Street. Like that came from doing the early tour. Once we did that to like physically, viscerally, like visually walk out my front door and see all kinds of neighbors that I have where I recognize like I want the bakery across the street to do really well when they're, you know, crowdfunding to open their space. I want Jared down the street in the cafe to be really effective. It it 
is the opportunity that sometimes we miss when when we're just working with others online to really see this interconnected well-being you know that we have with each other and i know for a lot of what we're always talking about together when we're walking downtown and it can be you know it's it's just so fun like <laughs> sort of being the business coach on the street because the other day you know my, my friend rob was walking down he has a framing shop and we we're just walking by i'm like hey how you doing rob you know and he was like well you know i'm having a little bit of a hard time because like we've gotten orders which is good but then we're trying to figure out how to do it so we just had this whole like brainstorming you know conversation on the street and it just brought home in in such a profound way how it feels good when we're connected with each other around this shared mission of really like creating a downtown that people want to visit where businesses thrive and I really believe in in each of our individual you know areas of of where where we really have expertise and where we want to be contributing it's always a team sport like there's just too much to know and do and like you said mike at different stages of your life and your body of work you might be excited to talk about different things more than others you know i talked about at escape from cubicle nation which was my first blog for the first 10 years of my business which by the way tomorrow is the 16 year anniversary of, uh, of starting Escape from Cubicle Nation. But at first, I was super excited to be talking to people about, you know, how to start a side hustle and should I get an LLC and how to, what's your first website? After about 10 years of doing that, I was like, yeah, I think I'm ready to talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> and there are more people who are now entering the space that can probably do it more effectively and efficiently than I did. Yeah, it, you know what? It's, and what's interesting is if the bot, like for productivity, because productivity is, this used to be called the Productivity is Podcast. Now it's called a Productive Conversation with Mike Vardy because productivity isn't just what I'm about. There's so many other things to explore. Being a night owl, I just had conversations about maybe doing some kids' time management stuff because the framework that I teach could work there. And that kind of stuff excites the hell out of me. Like that's the stuff that's feel And what what happens is all all of that led to this point that's one thing about time it's like the journey right so it's just leading to that point and to have something like the widest net to kind of look at and go okay this feels right cuz it's very hard to find some kind of framework or method or even philosophy that kind of says how do i serve others and find people that want my stuff without feeling gross or without feeling like i'm compromising who I am and what I want to be. And the way you put this book together um, really landed that, I think. So I think that 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 can't be, you know, you know, overstated enough. Um, the book is called The Widest Net. Unlock, untap markets and discover new customers right in front of you. Um, Pamela, before I let you go, what's one thing when they when they pick up this book uh, that they it's like a, like a simple action. And you talk about like the tiny wins, like the tiny marketing actions, right? Like those things. What's something they can do right away that's going to like kind of light a spark a bit and get them going in the right direction? What's the first thing they can do? Like we said, I, I really wrote the book so that people can pick it up because people read books now where they don't necessarily read from beginning to end. So hopefully like if they pick up a chapter and read it um, on one particular part of the model, I'm hoping they can really get value. Part of one exercise we talked about earlier that I think is a great like Kickstarter just to get people excited is this idea of peanut butter and jelly partners. And so if you've been in business, you have, you know, paying clients and you can just ask them, ask your favorite ones because your favorite ones, you know, are aligned with your values and are really bringing out your best and are the kind of people you love to work with. But 
if you are, for example, a service provider, you're a coach, consultant, you know, accountant, lawyer, for example, you can ask them, you know, besides me and the work we do together around the work that you're helping them with, who is another favorite like service provider that you work with? So I know I ask often, like, do you have a favorite attorney, business attorney? Do you have a favorite, you know, CPA? And if you can get a couple examples and then set up like just a 15 minute quick get to know you call that I talk about in the chapter on seating, you know, with, with Heather Krause, another Canadian. I'll have you know, I featured a lot of Canadians in this book, <laughs> not just for you, but where you set up that conversation with the only purpose, the only purpose is just to get to know the person better and maybe just ask them, so tell me more about your practice, you know, our mutual client, you know, introduced us to each other. Tell me about, you know, what do you love about it? What do you specifically do? Just spend the time to get to know each other that in and of itself, I can't tell you how many times clients have done that. And then you naturally just find ways in which you might start to refer each other or like to have more of an in-depth conversation. Sometimes it leads into, you know, doing a joint webinar or, you know, teaching a class together or something like that. I think that process of just discovering that there are some other people right close to you, as I say in the subtitle, like right in front of your face that you just have never taken the time to ask, that might be good peanut butter and jelly partners that can can open up some windows of opportunity and then that might incite you to go to the very beginning of the book <laughs> and do the methodology from the beginning because it is important to 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 do it in order well and i think the other thing too um is when you connect with someone like that and it lights a fire like it sparks you there's an energy there like yeah that's one thing that i found now i'm part of a co-working space now that i go in maybe half of the time but the people, there's an energy you can't deny. You can't get that from online. I mean, we've we've hung out at conferences before, and there's an energy there that you just cannot replicate online. So to have be able to do that right in your own backyard, I think, is really, really powerful. Um, Pamela, thanks so much for taking the time to have a productive conversation with me. Where can people learn more about you and your work and pick up the book? Uh, you can go to PamelaSlim.com. Right there on the homepage, I have information about the book for those who are who are listening to this before the book comes out there's pre-order information with all kinds of extra goodies you can get um, but yeah you can buy the book wherever books are sold so in-person bookstores as well as online book real retailers this has been great and it's been a long time coming i'm glad we finally had the chance to do this thanks for taking the time today me too thanks for having me Big thanks to Pam for joining me on the program. You can get all of the links that you need in the show notes, either on the podcast app that you are using right now, be it Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, whatever, or you can go to the show notes on our website, productivityist.com slash podcast 392. I'm really excited not only to bring you this episode, which you've just listened to, but also next week's episode where I am going to be having a productive conversation with Eric Partaker. So there's so many more coming down the pipeline. The way you don't miss an episode, the easiest way is to subscribe to the podcast. So if you have not done that already, make that happen today. Make that the next action that you take. That way you can listen to the widest scope of episodes possible not just the ones coming up, but all of the archives as well. That's it for this episode. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation with Mike Vardy, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.